HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by the Heritage Meat Shop, located in the historic Essex Street Market in New York City. For more information, visit heritagemeatshop.com. Broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn, you're listening to heritageradionetwork.org. Greenhorn, this is Severin, it's Greenhorn Radio, and we are here in the summertime uh, doing a lot of things, but mostly being happy about it being summer and eating tomatoes all the time, and we're joined today by Dan Phileas, who is in Michigan, he's a Michigander uh, at the MSU Organic Farm. Hi Dan, how you doing? Doing well, Severin. How are you? I'm doing very well. Thank you very much. Excellent. So, um, those of us who are in the farming world uh, mostly know about MSU because of the Hoop House program that came from yep. there mm-hmm. and is a lasting and, and national legacy of that program. But the majority of MSU is not about organics necessarily. Um, although you're yeah. running the organic farm. Will you just give right. a little overview of the land grant and the farm and what goes on and Yeah. Michigan? So um so I I so here we we are, as far as I know, the only certified organic land that Michigan State University has at at, at, as, at least on in the in the East Lansing area. They may have I, I don't think they do, but they may have uh, certified organic land at some of the. They have different outposts around the state um, that that are doing research on fr- different fruits and vegetables, and they may have now some certified organic land. But we've been certified organic for, I believe, seven years, and are um, and have been a farm practicing organic agriculture for the last eleven years here um, on campus in East Lansing. Um, and but yeah, MSU I think is the original land grant university. Uh, gifted land from the government to teach agriculture and to do conduct agriculture research. And so we are also, we also have that mandate now to uh, teach agriculture and to conduct agriculture research, but just with, uh, on, on certified organic land here. So I was out there uh, not that long ago because we're doing a collaboration with Future Farmers and the new Contemporary Art Museum. 
who yeah. uh, are doing a project called Land Grant, just kind of celebrate mm-hmm. and point to this, you know, historic status of MSU as a leader nationally and kind of champion some of the activities that have gone on. Um, so that was very exciting to see the kind of contemporary art scene trying to wrap their head around, you know, what is the future of agriculture in America and how did the land grant play into that? Um, yeah. How do you see that issue and, and why did you choose to be involved um, at MSU, why did you choose to go to MSU? Why did you choose to work at MSU? Um, let's, let's, can you rephrase that question? I uh, so why why I chose to come? Why to are MSU you there? <laughs> what do you like? Why about? am I here? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, I'm here at MSU. Well, in a nutshell, I'm here at MSU because it was a, I, w- I really was looking for a a, a lot of. I, I was an assistant manager of a CSA in Wisconsin and. I wanted uh, more responsibility and, and, and saw this opportunity online on one of the online job postings. And uh, I was wanting to stay in the Midwest because my wife's family is from here. And uh, I have a teaching background. Uh, I was a teacher for five years before I switched careers into agriculture. And so I wanted to be a teacher and a farmer at the same time. And here at the Student Organic Farm where we are teaching uh, new farmers uh, and well, people who have never been farmers or farmers who have been farming but want to learn how to do so organically. Uh, I, I thought it would be a really unique opportunity to be here, and, um, or, and so I was glad that I got the job. Well, it seems like you had your goals in order, and then you created a certain <laughs> set of actions and precipitated actuality, and, uh, and you like it. Sounds like you like it. Definitely, definitely. Yeah, I, 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 that um, event you were talking about out here, I loved how it was. At the, it was held at the the Barnes and Noble, the old like the Barnes and Noble like moved out of that area, and then they. I loved the art um, or the the. Dan, are you the, there? The Mark, hello. Yes, I was saying that you know that event that you came out here for. I remember a couple months back there was. I loved the marketing for it, where it was held in an old Barnes and Noble, and they that had they had moved out, but the marketing like put up. All in, on brown paper in the windows that said Barnes are noble, and I, I just love that. Barnes are noble, and you guys have great barns in Michigan, beautiful barns and beautiful soil and lots of water. Yeah. Tell us a little bit on the Michigan agricultural economy. Tell us. Sometimes people get all bottlenecked up and they want to live in the Northeast or they think they have to be near a city or whatever. They, mm-hmm. they start getting all enclosed. And I, when I came up to Michigan, I was impressed. I thought, wow, we've we got to get some more people out here. This place is awesome. So yeah, give us you a know, little it's, uh, it's really. Uh, I, I, I was surprised when I came here that, uh, at how much agriculture there is here. And uh, it's the second most diverse as far as, like, number of crops grown in the state. It's, it's, only, it's second only to California in number of crops grown. So there's, like, all the west side of the state along Lake Michigan is, like, blueberries, cherries, all sorts of different, uh, of different fruits. There's a, a thriving uh, wine grape uh, growing industry up, in the, up near Traverse City. Up also, or there's cherries up there. It's got, uh, trem- there's a revitalized hops growing industry up there too and um but over in the thumb you know because it's shaped like a mitten we call it the thumb over there uh that that thumb area they grow all sorts of dry beans and grains and then in the center of the state it's it's all sorts of different things there's vegetable farms here and there there's um there's like corn and soybeans like you would see in in uh, maybe elsewhere in the midwest um but there's just all sorts of different crops being grown here there's also a thriving um like beer brewing industry and and some great some great beers 
and brewers that are really focused on using local ingredients and, and crafting some really tasty uh, brews. So I think it's a really terrific place to live. And so there's a lot going on, and people who are, who are interested in especially horticultural crops yeah. uh, are, are many of them going to MSU for training. Yeah, tell, I would tell us so. about I would tell us about so. the program that you're running and kind of who's who's in it and, and where are they yeah. oriented and how is Michigan kind of pointing towards the towards the future? Sure. Yeah. Well, we um, we run a nine month intensive uh, training program called the Organic Farmer Training Program, <laughs> as it were, um, and we uh, it's, it's unique in that it it teaches year round organic farming. Uh, and it is so we, ha- as you were saying earlier, we have we have sort of made our name as being uh, hoop house growers here at the Student Organic Farm, and so we have a 48-week CSA that our students are involved in running, uh, a seven-month-long farm stand that they also run, and they each manage one of these in in the program when they come in here. They are um, they manage uh, one of the hoop houses and one of the fields. So they get experience growing uh, in the traditional season out in uh, the fields, but then they also get experience planning for and growing uh, crops in the hoop houses that we have here. So they're growing, you know, kale year-round and, and, and salad greens that we sell to the university for, um, for, for sale or that they put out of the salad bar in the dining halls. Um, we grow those year-round, and the students in the program are uh, learning that. It's also a cool program. So that's a unique. That's a unique uh, training because, and it because no, they don't do that in Santa Cruz. Number one, right? Number exactly, two, it, <laughs> it prepares students to leave Michigan and go places like Vermont, where they, mm-hmm. you know, if they don't know how to grow under plastic, then um, they're going to be twiddling their thumbs for kind of a lot of the year. Yeah, exactly. And it's a really, you know, that's, that's pretty much, it seems, I mean, from where we stand at least, it seems like that's where the, the future is going. Like, people are getting hoop houses, and it's, it's, it, at one point it was like, well, you know, grow tomatoes in this hoop house because you'll get ahead of, uh, because you'll get ahead of the, um, you know, your, the other market, uh, the other farmers at the markets, and you'll be able to sell tomatoes earlier and at a higher price. But now, you know, more and more, Farmers, that, that has now become standard. There are early tomatoes. There are early other things. You have to really um, grow some, you have to really think about how to market things really well and grow some, some unique things in order to... Well, and uh, when we had this terrible problem uh, two seasons ago in the Northeast yeah, with late yeah, light, so, mm-hmm. a lot of farmers, you know, experienced $30,000, $50,000 worth of crop loss yeah. And that precipitated investment in greenhouses just to have a little bit more assurance. I guess, you know, you never know what's going to really happen. Some tornadoes could come. Right, right. But, uh, right. you know, the hoop house provides a bit of a guarantee against Mother Nature and it her changing climate, ways. It gives you that climate control a little bit. Yep, definitely. Uh, in addition to the, uh, to the early... Um, the early production and late production. And you're, well, what am I saying? It's year-round production. We, we're, we're harvesting greens you know, in January for sale to the dining halls here. So it's, and it's just really to good. tag a resource, since we're talking about year-round vegetable growing, um, for those of you who are thinking about year-round vegetable growing and don't already know about Elliot Coleman's four-season growing and the yeah. use of multiple layers of cover, uh, so you think, oh, this doesn't work, this won't work because I'm in, I'm in Canada or I'm in northern New York or I'm in Vermont. Not You're that. not. There's yeah. enough plastic products out there to insulate <laughs> you, 
Uh, you too can be saved by plastic. <laughs> you too. Yeah. Um, there's a farmer here uh, in the valley, and he talked about this idea he had of distilling all the plastic that he uses on his farm and then turning it back into oil so that he could run yeah. his tractors on it. Yeah. Not too bad of an idea. So there is this plastic no. problem, but 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 let's talk about the positive. Um, let's talk about the positive sides of season extension um, from yeah. a food security perspective. Yeah, totally. Well, you know that's a big. Uh, it's a big thing that that uh, a big what's it called criticism maybe of like it has been a big criticism of like the local foods uh, system. Like, uh, well, where what. You know where are people going to get the the local food in the in the seasons when we can't grow local food? Well, if you you, you can have a robust a more robust local economy if and and like a farm economy just like my, my our budget is is shored up you know by being able to sell year round we we are able to have that that constant influx. We have three CSA. Um, Three CSA sessions throughout the year that are they match up with the semesters here, 16 weeks each. But uh, we, you know, rather than having that one big influx of CSA cash at the beginning of the of the traditional growing season, uh, we've we've got three points throughout the year where we get the influx of cash, and and it's it's a really nice way to keep the bills paid throughout the year here. And even though we're I'm at particular- the university, sorry, continue. No, you go ahead. I'm sorry, you're the interviewee. <laughs> what I was going to say was that even though we're we're at the university here, our operational budget we're, we're, we we receive no um, no outside funding, so our 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 operational budget is paid for by the produce that we sell, and so it's all, it's really nice to for students who come here as uh, to learn how to be organic farmers to see that side of the business um, that we are that we can sustain ourselves through the vegetable sales that we that we have here. And and so that's uh, an increasing part of the program uh, that we're that we've really strengthened in recent years is the business planning side of things. Oh, that's amazing! That's a really that's a very good model to force the program to be. I think they should force other things like. Um, well, no, we won't get into the politics, but sure, that's, sure. That's an honest <laughs> training, and I and I I wish I saw it in all farmer training operations. That kind of business transparency. Well, um, I do think so. So the, we're talking about resilient farm economy and local food security. When we're when you have cash inflow coming into the farm all year round, would you would you agree or would you argue with this statement that as we're looking at creating a more sustainable farm economy, more sustainable farming practices, and kind of more regionalized food production, that the farm farm sector is going to need to have a more resiliency and that right now a lot of a lot of farmers are struggling with debt um, are struggling with drought and that there there isn't that much like kind of breathing space or there isn't enough breathing space to um, give farmers opportunity to invest in practices that will make their land more drought resistant practices to diversify their output so they can um, not rely so much only on kind of commodity prices. That sometimes these tools, like this greenhouse, this hoop house tool, is like a tool that can make other tools possible because of increasing profitability. I think I would agree with that. Yes, I think I I, I would agree with that. That there are so that the um, 
Well, I guess I generally agree with uh, with the sentiment that any anything that you, any tool that you can use that gets you a little bit ahead um, uh, in either work or in uh, in cash flow will allow for um, other um, will allow for easier times or more flexibility uh, down the road. And so, like an example, like uh, on the farm here, we got uh, we got a tine weeder this year uh, implement for our tractor. Um, and and we were able to tine weed several more uh, beds than we had in the past, which eliminated like hand weeding from some of our onions. Which that time that uh, you know hand weeding onions can be such a such a time suck on a on a on a farm on an organic farm that is. And 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 so by investing in that implement, paying the money that we would have paid people to to weed it. Uh, and buying an implement with it instead, it allowed us to, to just go through, weed that really quick, and gave us the flexibility then with the time that we saved to have um, the people do other things on the farm. And we've, I think, been more ahead in general on weeds on the farm, more so than just three beds worth that we, you know, that we tilled or tine weeded with, the, with our tine weeder. It really magnified. And so any tool, so that's, a, that's an analogy, I guess, uh, but, but the, or, uh, I agree with you. Hoop houses can afford some more <laughs> flexibility. <laughs> yeah, so these are the kinds of tools, practices, um, and especially um, creating kind of low-cost techno- uh, technologies and, and kind of suggested uh, farm practices that really make mm-hmm. sense as in the toolkit used mm-hmm. by farmers, not only at the university farm, but hopefully uh, building on the model of extension um, extending the access to that innovation and, and thoughtful development of technologies out to the network of all the farmers in the state for the benefit sure. of the region as a whole. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And and we're you know we're we we want to we want our farmers who our, tra- our farmers who are training in our program we want them we're we're preparing them to be farmers you know from out, right out the gate. So we want it's really it's really inspiring to see the farmers who were in this program now in their uh, in their farms around the state and um, and and starting um, starting businesses of their own and 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 having success so and, and sort of expanding that network and and demonstrating what we have been uh, doing here but just as in little satellite locations not they're not doing training programs of their own but just Putting into practice what we're trying to teach, and, and it's not necessarily the extension thing, but it's it's a seed that gets planted in in local communities around around the state, where different communities can see what uh, what year-round growing is like and be inspired by that. I think, and across the country, frankly. Sure. Yeah. Definitely. And yeah. It's not just a, it's not just the state. You're right. Again, just to tag another resource, so this. Well, I think that she had your exact job. Did Corey have your exact job? Oh, Corey! No, Corey was um, Corey up. Uh, who was at uh, Sterling College? Yeah. Yep. Uh, she was the. Um, she helped actually start the organic farmer training program, and was it was things have been restructured here since. Uh, but like she left right before I arrived, and they did some restructuring, so there was more. There was some overlap. Um, between uh, what she did and what what I do, but um, she was more on the educational side of things, like managing the uh, the training program. While I am managing production, there is a, a, another couple people who are um, more uh, 100% involved in the 
in the uh, training program side of things, and I'm more 100% involved in the actual growing of the crops here. That sounds good. Well, so regardless of the overlap, so Corey was there, and mm-hmm. she left to go start her own farm in Vermont. Well, first she did yep. like a little stint at Sterling, but then she started her own farm, bread and butter farm in Vermont. And again, mm-hmm. just to tag a resource, the UVM Community Finance PDF that is available through the UVM Beginning Farmer Training Program website cites Corey's uh, farm as a case study, and she, unfortunately, she built a hoop house on her farm to do wintergreen, uh, like a good Michigander, and then the horrible snowstorm in March 2010, 11, was really late after a lot of other snow, and it was really wet, and it destroyed her hoop house. And so then the next season, she was, this is all from the case study, I'm just giving you a little play-by-play. The next season, the co-op down the road said, hey, Corey, we love your kale. We love your winter greens. We want more. And, Carrie, and Corey said, uh, that's great. We're glad you love our greens, but we can't grow any more because our hoop house is destroyed. So only way you can get more is if I can raise $15,000 to build another hoop house. And they said, oh, that's so sad. And then five minutes later, they called her back and they said, well, we'd like to buy you another hoop house. Wow. <laughs> And so that's that's another, just an example of how, uh, you know, these are interlocking, interlocking uh, problems and solutions that, that, you know, when you, when you set up an expectation for winter production, then you might just build yourself a market that's willing to pony up uh, to invest further to expand that market. Yeah. Uh, And that what we have today, the kind of matrix of possibilities and marketplaces that exist Currently uh, is only what we have currently, and there are there's, there is tr- tremendous potential just beyond the horizon. Yeah, maybe that was a little over and ambitious, optimistic. Uh, mm. So what's what's kind of happening recently with the weather in your state, or uh, you know, you guys have Debbie Stabenow in your state who's been that's correct the yep. chair of the uh, farm bill. I mean, give us a little bit of news from Michigan if you don't mind. Well, unfortunately, I, I feel grossly out of touch with the with the farm bill, and, and uh, so I, I can't comment on that. I can comment on the weather that I'm deeply connected with. Um, the the we've had we've been subject to the the drought that has been hitting lots of different places, and so you know we've had the last few weeks. I guess we've had some reprieve from that, but there was you know a couple months where we got a uh, just you know. 0.03 inches here, 0.01 inches there. Total of about an inch and a half over two months, and and we've just we're, we're uh, you know we've only had a quarter inch in the last couple weeks, and we do have to irrigate a lot this year. But it's been it's been warm, and aside from that, you know the the lack of water. Thankfully, we do have a fairly good irrigation system here on the uh, on the farm, and we've been able to. We've been able to subsidize with, uh, the, the, the groundwater with our irrigation water. And the warmth that has been, uh, that has been, well, it's been just really hot this year, and the crops are loving it. So um, as long as we can keep the wetness uh, up there, the crops are, have been responding. <laughs> so that's that's um, and uh, So that's good for vegetable, veggie, vegetable farmers to have good irrigation. But, yes. but, but, but <laughs> if you those don't have around good irrigation, you, it's, yeah, it's it has been it has been a, tri- a, a, a just 
trials and tribulations this whole year. It's been, and, and, you know, uh, very, very that's, and that's just this time of year. Earlier, you know, I was saying there's a very, it's a very diverse state. Uh, there's, there's a, the entire fruit industry, except for maybe blueberries, uh, lost nearly 100% of their, of their crops this year um, because of the early warmth that we had, which broke the, the dormancy of these fruit crop flower buds. And those flowers bloomed early, and then we got, you know, we didn't get a late freeze, but we just got a normal freeze as they were, as it's supposed to happen, and that uh, took out all the flower buds. And there was, you know, in some places, 97% fruit loss. It's just not uh, a really devastating hit for the fruit crops in Michigan this year. But blueberries, I guess, uh, fruit later or flower later, and um, we're not, we're not damaged by that. So there's great blueberry crops still coming out. Well, so this is the this is the thing also that I, I mean from a farm bill perspective, I just got a alert e blast alert, you know, from National Wildlife Federation talking about how the drought um, payments that are being made, like there's been all this kind of emergency drought sure. credit being issued and yep. kind of support being offered from the USDA, but that um, basically the wildlife or conservation lobby was screaming because that money is coming right out of the conservation budget. So, mm. you know, as good organic farmers, we know that uh, adding organic matter to your soil is one of the best assurance uh, methods other than an expensive irrigation system for maintaining yeah. soil moisture. Yeah. That, you know, yeah. Or- organic production, particularly in drought years, uh, will outperform conventional production. So, but instead of investing strategically in these, you know, the kinds of practices that would make our agricultural mm-hmm. systems kind of more agroecologically resilient to extreme weather, we are, like, slicing at our good practices budget to just bail out. Right. And, you know, it's not, it's, not an, it's not an us or them situation, and it's not, a, like, one or the other, and it's really unfortunate when it, gets, when it becomes, like, a vicious duality like that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's I don't know. There's not. There's, there's not an easy answer, but it's definitely the, the kind of causal relationship between those the practices that like compact the soil are the practices that also make um, farming and farmers more vulnerable right, to right. to adverse weather conditions. Right. Right. You know, we're it's, it's interesting. We're we're seeing. Um, you were men- you mentioned uh, water saving uh, organic matter, and that just we we have we we grow potatoes. We like to do things a lot of different ways out here to demonstrate it for the students. And so we have half of our well, not half, but some of our potatoes are are grown under mulch rather than being hilled. And then there, and and then we have ne- right next to them ones that are being hilled. And there's this stark contrast between the mulched ones and the hilled ones. The uh, the mulched ones, you know, mulch conserves water, and 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 so it stayed moister underneath that mulch, and the plants are just vibrant and green as all get out. And then next to that, in these hilled potatoes, and you know, tillage uh, or hilling, which is a type of tillage, will uh, will will release water from the soil. So it, so when we hilled, we just we set our potatoes back, I think, because those hilled ones, they're they're crispy and brown. They are definitely not as uh, as strong looking, and it's 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 within you know there's there's two beds side by side like that are the same variety, one mulched, one hilled, and it's not it's not a varietal difference. It's definitely mulch versus uh, versus hilled. And so in 
that definitely adding organic matter um, in, in many ways, including that, is, is so helpful in years like this. So if anyone's listening who's in charge of the mandates that are, that are deciding research agendas uh, for the, for the land-based universities, it sounds like there's interest in considering research around which are the more weather-resilient agricultural practices. Yeah. That's, some, that's something that I definitely would like to see more of, just even just to talk about it in those terms. Uh, right. would be amazing. Yeah. Did you know, Dan, that we're coming to Michigan to do a farm hack? No, I didn't. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Yes, I did. I didn't realize, though, that it was a, a roving um, group of, of farm hackers that, that came and hacked farms around the place, um, but, or around the country. But I, I, um, I, I had seen that there was a farm hack event going to be happening in Detroit or Ann Arbor or something. Uh, can you say Detroit can you say and more Ann Arbor, about it? but maybe we need to do a third leg in East Lansing. We would love to have, we would love to host Farm Hack. You know, it's, it's something that I think is, uh, is such a great uh, initiative that, uh, that's out there for, for, for young farmers to, um, you know, I, I don't know. I, there, it's all, seeing all the creativity that goes into the things that, that are put on Farm Hack, it really inspires me. Okay, well, it sounds like we have to have a, a, a conversation off air about that, and I will yeah. see you into the, the planning doc. Um, Sounds good. But, reg- but regardless, it's really wonderful to connect, and just um, in our last little moment here, I wanted to make sure that I ask you to tag any kind of rare and unusual resources that people might not have come across yet that, that you know, are your faves um, or organizations or things things going on. Man, oh gosh, my oh, gosh. I know. Oh my goodness. Um, I was. I'm not prepared for this. I. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> okay, you don't have. To. It's okay. There's a lot. There's a lot out there. There's a lot out there. You, this is like you want to know. Uh, what's my? How much more time do I have to think about this? Um, <laughs> uh, I think like let's see. Oh, you don't have very much time. You only have twenty-five seconds. You only have a minute. A minute to think of a cup of of some some odd or uh, maybe uh, unconventional uh, resource that that might help out so, uh, uh, farmers out there. Hmm. Yeah, and add to our encyclopedic uh, encyclopedic database of young farmer resources. You know, I, 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 I can only say that I really, uh, I, I've grown a lot in going to con- conferences, make, taking the time to go to conferences. So um, I, I really learn, I think the best conferences out there that I've been to were uh, the NOFA conference in Massachusetts and the Moses conference out here in, in Wisconsin. And if, if anybody can take the time to go to those conferences, um, those are really great. If those people in Michigan, the Northern Michigan Small Farms Conference has been really, uh, has been really great. And, uh, and this year there's a, the Michigan Organic Food and Farming Association is having a, a conference in Flint, and that's great also. I, I think it's going to be a terrific one. Yeah, and, and, you know, these conferences are, many of them, looking for um, to include young organizers also. Mm-hmm. You know, and to keep this tradition strong, what many of them were founded by what were then hippies, young hippies, who are now uh, not necessarily still hippies, but many of them older. And so the continuity of that amazing uh, resource 
uh, is also within our mandate as a as a movement to to keep it strong. And the other thing to say is, a lot of these conferences are offering scholarships for beginning yeah. farmers because of this nice beginning farmer and rancher development project. They have gotten you know some grant money flowing around beginning farmer projects. So. I know Moses, for instance, had a whole beginning farmer track and a lot of beginning farmer programming, um, and we're supporting beginning farmers to attend because it can be kind of costly, all the hotel business. Yeah, and the thing, those those conferences I mentioned, the thing I like most about those conferences in particular is that they're 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 pretty much by farmers and for farmers. So hearing, I love hearing. You know, it's one thing to hear about uh, work done uh, by universities and extension and things like that, but there's also uh, I, I get a lot out of hearing other farmers and just hearing their experiences that they've had and say, "Hey, this works for me. Uh, you might want to try it." So that's that, I, I really like that. Here, here. So thank you so much, Dan, and see you in Michigan soon. I'll email you right now, so don't forget. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much, Severin. It was good to talk to you. All the best. Bye-bye. Bye-bye, everyone. Oh, this has been another episode of Greenhorns Radio, Radio for Young Farmers by Young Farmers. There's a lot coming up in September in terms of events, so I need you to be sure and check the mailing list, which is going to be blasted out tomorrow, and check our events page. We've got seed camp in Maine, a beef out event, uh, of eating beef outside here in the Hudson Valley, we have Farm Hacks in New York City, Farm Hack in Ithaca, New York. Um, there's just a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. So what's my point? Thank you for being part of the network, and please use this little bit of a reprise from the heat uh, to eat lots of tomatoes and start planning your schedule for the harvest season, your harvest parties, uh, your harvest organizing, whatever it's going to be. Uh, because September promised to be very, very busy. Okie dokie. Talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.